0: Hi, and welcome to the Palliators Podcast. I'm your host, fellowship-trained hospice and palliative medicine physician, Dr. Tara Katine. This podcast is for healthcare professionals who want to become more comfortable and more confident in caring for their chronically ill and terminally ill patients. With the help of the physicians who trained with me, we hope to provide education and to promote palliative care one podcast at a time. We're so glad to have you here. Hi, everybody. If you've read the Palliators blog at thepalliators.com, then you know that the anniversary of the death of my friend Suzanne was at the end of May. She's the person I interviewed in the podcast titled, Both Sides of the Stethoscope. She had been at home on hospice and died shortly after those interviews. If you haven't already listened to them, I hope you'll go back and listen to those interviews and learn from the wisdom that she shared. Anyway... The terminal event for her was malignant bowel obstruction due to her ovarian cancer. So I thought it would be good to talk about malignant bowel obstruction today. As usual, I've gone down a rabbit hole reading about the medical treatment for malignant bowel obstruction, and the treatment seems pretty consistent. There are some more invasive measures like surgery or stents that can be used too, Though I think it's unlikely, it's possible you may recommend one of those to your patients who have a life expectancy longer than a few weeks. Always consider the goals of care and life expectancy before recommending surgery for someone ha- who has a malignant bowel obstruction. And really, though, goals of care need to be considered before any intervention. The last thing you want for a dying patient is for him to spend the final days recovering from surgery. While reading, I found that several articles and chapters started with the definition of bowel obstruction, so I debated with myself about doing that here because it seemed self-explanatory. Then I decided to go ahead and do it since it's as good a place to start as any. So I morphed a few definitions into one and came up with this. Bowel obstruction is the mechanical or functional blockage of the GI tract and prevents physiologic movement and digestion. Common causes of bowel obstruction are adhesions or scar tissue that form after a surgery, impacted stool, intussusception, and everyone's favorite foreign bodies. In malignant bowel obstruction, there are a few descriptors in the definition that I pulled from an article. First, there is clinical evidence of bowel obstruction. Second, the obstruction is distal to the ligament of trites. Third, there is the presence of primary intra-abdominal cancer or extraabdominal cancer with peritoneal involvement. and fourth, there is absence of reasonable possibility for a cure. Malignant bowel obstruction occurs in three to 15 percent of all cancer patients in the setting of intraabdominal metastasis, but it's most common in ovarian and GI cancers. We need to remember that sometimes a presumed malignant bowel obstruction can actually be due to a non-malignant etiology in a quarter of patients with peritoneal carcinomatosis. Patients commonly present with nausea, usually with vomiting, colicky abdominal pain, abdominal pain due to distension, borborygmy with visible peristalsis, and if the obstruction is complete, there will be obstipation. In about 20% of patients with malignant bowel obstruction, the diagnosis of cancer is made during the evaluation for the obstruction. Usually, though, the cancer diagnosis has been known on average about 14 months before. Many, about 25% of cancer patients with advanced disease present with a malignant bowel obstruction and have had previous episodes of obstruction. Spontaneous improvement occurs in more than a third of patients with the recurrence rate in those patients coming in at about 60%. Patients with a malignant bowel obstruction have a life expectancy of one to nine months at the time of presentation. The most important predictor in estimating the life expectancy in these patients is their performance status. In one study, patients with an Eastern Cooperative Oncology Group, or ECOG, performance status score of 0 to 1 had a median survival of 222 days. For an ECOG score of 2, the median survival was 63 days. And for a score of 3 to 4, median survival was 27 days. Other predictors for poor prognosis would be low serum albumin, ascites, large tumor burden, and aggressive malignancy. When someone presents with signs and symptoms of a malignant bowel obstruction, you want to determine if the obstruction is from a non-malignant source or if it has a reversible cause. Plain films are usually done first and show the characteristic dilated loops of bowel. A CT scan is the standard for making the diagnosis, and helps with prognostication and next steps. Once the obstruction is determined not to have a reversible cause, the plan for treatment is dependent on the goals for how they want to live their lives. Though surgical options can be considered, up to 50% of cancer patients with bowel obstruction are considered inoperable. There's low evidence for benefit in patients with large-volume ascites, diffuse peritoneal carcinomatosis, palpable abdominal masses, poor performance status, and age over 65. Contraindications to surgery include a short life expectancy, like less than eight weeks, concurrent comorbidities, an ECOG of three to four, carcinomatosis, large volume ascites, and if surgery is inconsistent with the patient's goals of care. The surgical outcomes, as far as symptoms go, can be good. However, readmission rate, mortality, and complications are fairly high. The reports vary based on which study you read. A Cochrane review assessing surgery for the resolution of symptoms and malignant bowel obstruction in advanced GYN and GI cancers was updated and published in 2016 as an update from 2000. No firm conclusions could be made from the vastly retrospective case studies. Success or benefit was not standardized or clearly defined. Rates of reobstruction were variable, ranging from three to 63 percent. Morbidity and mortality varied widely too. No data for quality of life was reported, and most studies were at high risk of bias for most domains. The key findings and quality of evidence were summarized by saying, the studies were of low quality and measured success and benefit in different ways. It wasn't possible to compare the studies and conclude that surgery was of benefit or harm. In localized GI obstruction, stenting with a self-expanding metal stent may be considered Generally, this is considered safe in the hands of an endoscopist who is very experienced in the procedure. The smaller or the shorter the obstruction and the more distal the obstruction, the better the long-term outcome, and stenting can help with quality of life. Complications include migration of the stent and perforation. Now, let's talk about medical management. This would be implemented first and foremost even if you are considering surgery or stents, because you'll want to manage the symptoms as soon as possible. Since these patients are usually nauseated and vomiting, your orders are going to include making them NPO and using antiemetics. I'm pretty quick to drop an NG tube and place it to suction, especially in the face of copious emesis or feculent emesis. You hope to get the symptoms managed well enough and quick enough to get the NG tube out as soon as possible. The antiemetics used should be antidopaminergic, and keep in mind that if this is a complete obstruction, stay away from metaclopramide because it's prokinetic and can make things worse. Anticholinergics are used to help decrease secretions. Steroids can have anti-emetic properties, and they're also anti-inflammatory. They can reduce the edema associated with the tumor, and with that, there may be some relief in the obstruction. You'll need to provide analgesia for abdominal pain, and usually opioids are needed. If the symptoms are managed well enough, and the gastric contents being suctioned diminishes, removing the NG tube should be considered. Removing it should be one of the first things considered when the nausea and vomiting is controlled. I'll never forget when I was an intern, my very first upper-level resident taught me that whenever I have the opportunity, take out my patient's NG tube. He said that patients are usually so appreciative to have that thing gone. It's a lesson I'll never forget, and that was a really long time ago. Now, if there's a complete obstruction, you may consider a PEG tube to vent the stomach to help prevent vomiting, and then the NG tube can be removed. Patients can resume eating even with the venting PEG in place. Sometimes a venting PEG may be contraindicated, though, in the setting of tumor involving the stomach, carcinomatosis, or ascites. Somatostatin analogs like octreotide can be helpful, Often, they're given two to four times a day or as a continuous infusion. They work to decrease GI secretions and to slow motility. PPIs and H2 blockers have been used, but no studies have shown them to be clinically helpful. And recently, the H2 blocker ranitidine was taken off the market. In treating malignant bowel obstruction, some treat medically in a stepwise fashion, starting with a few days of steroids, antiemetics, anticholinergics, and analgesics. And then they'll add somatostatin analogs if the vomiting persists. If the vomiting continues after that, then a venting peg would be considered. I always want to get the NG tube out as soon as possible. I like to use haloperidol for nausea, and I'm a a fan of glycopyrrolate for an anticholinergic to reduce secretions. Goals of care may lead to a venting peg sooner rather than later, especially if someone's eager to get out of the hospital. A lot of places don't have endoscopists who have done a large volume of stents. If someone is a good candidate, though, stents can help relieve symptoms and help improve quality of life. By most definitions, in malignant bowel obstruction, there's an absence of a reasonable possibility for a cure. We must be diligent in their medical management to alleviate and prevent severe symptoms. I think that covers most everything. I hope you found this brief review helpful to you. And now it's time for our reflection. It comes from the comedian Dane Cook. It goes like this. Some people have constipation of the brain, but their mouth has the runs. That's it for today. I'll put references in the show notes on our website, thepalliators.com. You'll find the reflection there too. Please visit our site and send us messages if you have suggestions. If you enjoy our podcast, please give us a good rating and review on your podcast app. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Until next time, bye for now.